0: Straw Hat Media. Love is love. It's a phrase used often by the LGBTQ plus community to unite people under the same idea. It doesn't matter who you love or how you love. Love is love. This is exactly what Hugh Nene and Neil Treadwell showcased in their book, Loving a photographic history of men in love. It began with one photograph, found in an antique shop in Dallas, Texas, dated somewhere around 1920. It depicts two young men embracing and gazing at one another, clearly in love. Then a second photo came to them through an online auction, presented in a small Art Deco glass frame with yours always etched into the glass. It shows two soldiers from the 1940s, posed cheek to cheek. None of the men in the photos were given the opportunity to be married to each other. For most of them, loving each other was a crime. Fast forward more than 100 years, these couples are being given the opportunity to be celebrated, not ridiculed. Today, we chat with Hugh and Neil all about how they started collecting photographs, their collecting parameters, and the unique stories they've come across since publishing, loving. I'm Levi Chambers, and this is Pride. Hugh and Neil have been together for nearly three decades. They both grew up in Texas, but while Neil embraced his southern roots and worked in the cattle industry,
1: Hugh was pursuing something a bit more classical. I've been a ballet dancer and ballet teacher for the last 40 years, maybe a little bit more, and currently on the faculty in New York here at Joffrey Ballet, and I uh, coach privately as well.
0: After Neil spent some time working in the rodeo circuit, he decided to switch gears and pursue a career in the arts.
2: When I went to college, I went to work for a clothing store and it was all couture clothing, uh, which kind of changed my, my whole life, uh, putting me in um, a different aspect of, of a world that um, propelled me, I guess, into cosmetics. Uh, went into cosmetics in the, well, I guess I could say it, uh, the mid-1980s. Uh, and fragrances and then on through color and um, my last positions with bobby brown and uh, bare essentials i was over education artistry globally for the companies
0: one day while wandering around an antique mall in dallas texas the couple discovered something that would change their lives forever
1: so we were just killing some time that afternoon and neil came across a box with some random photographs in it old photos
2: we kind of separated when we were going through the antique mall. And this one booth I walked into, I found this box, as Hugh was saying, and I'm flipping through it and it, there were photos of homes that looked like our neighborhood in Dallas, which I thought was kind of great. But at the very back there was a photograph of two guys that were embraced, one from behind the other, and just really sweet looks on their face. And so I went running right through the antique mall to show Hugh and we said, you know, we gotta, we gotta have this. We gotta, you know, save it from, you know, whatever's going to happen to it or, you know, probably be thrown away. And so we, we went up to the checkout stand and we put it at the bottom of the pile so that the person checking us out wouldn't see it, thinking that they might think it was, you know, as interesting as we did. And the guy just looked and said, $5, and we walked out. So, I mean, that was probably the cheapest photo we've ever purchased in our life.
0: The photo was special to Neil and Hugh for a few reasons. One, it was amazing that a photo featuring two men so obviously in love would have been taken in the first place. And two, they felt so lucky that regardless of where the photo came from, it had somehow ended up in Texas for them to find.
1: Uh, We've never, we had never seen up until that point male relationships depicted in that way, romantically, two people who were in love with each other. Sexually, we've seen a lot of that. There's a lot, Historically, that's been well documented, but uh, romantically, emotionally, no, we had not seen that before. We never expected to find a second one.
0: As luck would have it, Hugh and Neil discovered another photo just a few months later. Soon, two photos turned into 20, which turned into 200. But even with a growing collection, Hugh and Neil didn't see themselves as collectors.
1: We just thought we were finding things that needed to be preserved, how unlikely that they should you know, have lived this long and we've got to you know, put them in a safe or something like that, make sure they last beyond our lives if possible. We didn't tell any of our friends, any of our family, which were very close with both, that we were doing this. We were kind of embarrassed about it, honestly. There was never even a conversation between the two of us. As, So-and-so is coming over. We're going to visit family. Should we show them this album of photographs? Never a conversation. We just never did it, never talked about it. But about 13 years into it, we did start to understand that we had uh, acquired something substantial and that it felt too important for just the two of us to be looking at it. And so we started brainstorming ways to share the collection. We didn't want to throw it out on the internet because that's just not the way to do it. And eventually became a book. Their
0: book, Loving, A Photographic History of Men in Love, is a visual narrative that showcases unpublished photos of male partnerships taken during a time when these relationships were illegal.
1: Uh, At this point, I think we're at about 3,300. When we published the book, it was a few less than that, and in the book are 315 that were selected by us, our publisher, and the designers who put the book together for us. Their collection isn't limited
0: to just the United States. They have images from Australia, Bulgaria, Canada, Croatia, France, Japan, the UK. You name a place, they probably have a photo from there. But what do they look for in an image before it makes it into their collection? we look for
2: uh, that unmistakable look of love in, in two guys' eyes. So therefore, it's not like we're looking at any specific class of people or uh, any genre or any, um, you know, whether they're in a uniform age. or anything else, age doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Um, what we've collected is, you know, just what we found out um, out in the public.
1: And so the, our, our collecting parameter for us has always been that, We need to, when we look into a photograph, sometimes the embrace or the kissing or something like that, it's a dead giveaway of what you're looking at. Sometimes it's more subtle. In some photos, the chemistry between the
0: two men is obvious. They might be kissing or embracing, which makes it very clear that they were in a romantic relationship. But if you see a photo in the collection and your first thought is, no way, these two, they're just good friends. You might wanna go back and look one
1: more time. Sometimes it's uh, two men standing side by side, and one man has his foot on top of the other man's foot. And they have this funny look on their face, like, you know, see if you can find it, or whatever, or something like that. But uh, So there are some subtle uh, hints. When
0: Hugh says the couple has a funny look on their face, he's talking about love.
1: What will always appear in the photographs is this unmistakable look of love that people have on their faces when they fall in love with somebody. It's not a look that you can hide if you're feeling it, and it's not a look that you can manufacture if you're not feeling it. So it's all we consider it to be genuine when we see it in a photograph. And that that's what guides are collecting. The
0: photos that Hugh and Neil are collecting come from a very specific timeline between the 1850s and the 1950s. But Hugh says within that timeline, there's a period where the men seem to be more careless and more affectionate than the rest.
1: There's some very outward displays of romantic love between the men that that looks uninhibited in any way. And those photographs tend to fall between the 1890s and the 1920s. Not before that and not after that, but the the displays of affection and romance and love are very outward, and also often include uh, family members or friends and allies. You would think the photos would only get better, right? Men would become more
0: and more comfortable in their sexuality as time went on. Nope, that's not the case.
1: What our collection has revealed to us is, you know, we we had the same thought in the beginning. These photographs are amazing because it was so much worse back then. Actually, that's not entirely true. I mean, it's much better today, but it's also much worse. Uh, Back then, they didn't have the uh, anti-gay industrial complex that exists today and is well-funded, and people draw a paycheck every day for hating gay people. That's their job description. Hate gay people and work at it full time. And there are lots of organizations that are fully committed to that. And it's a national campaign in the United States and around the world, and it's a national issue. Uh, legally, socially, and so forth, that did not exist back then. So while it wasn't ideal to be in love with someone of the same gender back then, there was, um, there was some tacit acceptance that was kind of like, well, you know, live and let live. Maybe not always, but the collection reveals to us that, there, that that did exist. And this other thing did not exist, you know, that because history. After
0: finding their first photo, Hugh and Neil continued to stumble upon these meaningful photographs everywhere they went.
2: My job in cosmetics took me traveling all over the United States. And if I were spending a weekend outside of Dallas or even in Dallas, I would go to that local antique store and just kind of walk around and see what they have. Uh, we also went to a couple of Bricants uh, or um,
1: Concert.
2: and but here there's 26th and 6th street there's an antique here in new york here in, in new york here in new york before, we're not we in texas to, yeah. but we would come up to new york and they had um just a little weekend of antiques out there and there was one uh guy who only had photographs and we found a couple in in his stash that he had but they were never labeled like here's gay photos or here's this well,
1: he, was he had the box of gay photos that had everything well, in it.
2: <laughs> they were a little more explicit yeah. uh than,
1: <laughs> but we got uh, yours always there
2: that's right we yeah. did we we collected a wonderful photo it's of two uh, soldiers in a glass frame and etched on the glass as um, yours always. Yours are always
1: yours always, are always, always yours? I can't remember. I
2: don't but it was you know, doing that and then going international and going to antique stores. And then there's, you know, some photography um, fairs. fairs that happen mm-hmm. here in New York and in Dallas and, and abroad. And, and we've uh, connected with several people there. We have right now uh, reached out to and connected connection. with uh, photography or photograph dealers from around the world, from Russia, Russia. Estonia. Like five
1: in Russia, three in Bulgaria, uh, a couple in Serbia, a couple in Croatia, one in Estonia you mentioned, and then you know dotted around Europe.
0: Another criteria these photos have to go through before they make it into their love book is what Hugh and Neil call a 50-50 test.
1: When we look at the photograph, we have to believe that they're at least 50% likely to be in a romantic relationship. That being said, we have very few in the collection and zero in the book. Uh, Well, we have one in the book, and there's a reason for it.
0: When they came across a photo of two soldiers smiling in uniform, there was nothing in their posture that screamed, we're together.
1: But they had this look in their eyes that says, you know, we're a couple and we're in love with each other. And so we got them because they weren't expensive. When they brought the photo
0: home, they ultimately decided that it didn't pass the 50-50 test, so it wasn't going to be included in the book. They actually ruled it as a 0%, but then they found another photo of the same two men that confirmed their initial
1: suspicion. This was a couple that was in love with each other. Uh, there they are embracing in the Alps in Kitzbühel, Austria. Both photos ended up in their book, which
0: definitely plays off the whole don't judge a book by its cover phrase. But like many of the photos Hugh and Neil come across, they didn't know any more of the story until a German book ended up on their doorstep. When we come back, the tragic love story of two German royals and the gay American soldiers who almost saved their lives. Welcome back. Today we're chatting with Hugh Nene and Neil Treadwell. The couple behind the book, Loving, a photographic history of men in love from the 1850s to the 1950s. Before the break, Hugh and Neil introduced us to the faces of the soldiers featured on page 110 of their book. It was a memorable story for the collectors because they found not one, but two images of the same couple. What are the odds? But what really set them apart from all the others is that Hugh and Neil had the opportunity to put names to the faces in the photos. When the president of Sotheby's in Germany read their book, he noticed something familiar about the two soldiers. He sent Hugh and Neil a note and a book that would help add some context to the photo. The
1: book was called Imlau. And Imlau is the um, hunting resort for the German royals all the way from the 1860s to the uh, mid-20th century. And he wrote, uh, he put two sticky notes inside. So what did Hugh and Neil discover? Well, for one thing, the
0: soldiers are from Texas. What are the odds of that?
1: One is from Longview, Longview, Texas, the other is from Dallas. Dallas, right. And uh, they uh, fell in love during basic training at Camp Gruber in Oklahoma. They were then sent over to fight in Europe and they fought all across Germany in the 42nd Infantry Division, which is named the...
2: Rainbow Division.
1: How ironic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's
2: it's it's not for that reason, because it was way before the rainbow became the symbol. Uh, but it was it was named that because in this division, there were men from all over the United States. Most divisions were from one city or one town or one specific area. But and, this was a collective across the United States.
1: And General Douglas MacArthur, who's famous in, after the after World War One, named it the rainbow division because of what Neil just explained, because they were from all over the place. They were from everywhere. So rainbow. And uh, it was reconstituted in, ni- in the 1940s to fight in World War II. So the, the Rainbow Division is actually very famous because it liberated Dachau concentration camp on April 29th, 1945. Their division w- had fought almost all the way across Germany and they were approaching the town of Dachau. And two American reporters from the, that were in the town at the time and the civilian intercepted the Rainbow Division, cut them off and said, don't go into the town, follow this road into the forest. And, um, you know, they did and where they found the unspeakable horrors of Dachau concentration camp.
0: This concentration camp opened in southern Germany in 1933. It was initially intended to hold political prisoners, which is why two German royals were sent to the camp because of their homosexuality.
1: This was the, the the German royalty was dethroned or uh, from power after World War I, but they still had their titles and so forth. And within that family were two men uh, that were not related, but they were both German royals, and that's uh, Prince Friedrich Leopold and Prince uh, and, uh, Baron Fritz Chirini. And they are documented throughout this book as an openly gay couple. They are romant- romantically linked from their late teens all the way up to when they were sent to Dachau concentration camp in 1944. So here's, here's where they intersect with our soldiers from World War II, John. W. Moore and Daryl. John and Daryl liberated Dachau concentration camp on August 29th, 1945. Five days earlier, the prince, the baron, the uh, prime minister of Austria and other high value prisoners were rounded up and driven out of the camp to be shot before a firing squad. So they missed the liberation by five days.
0: Hugh and Neil connected with John's nephew a few years ago. And from him, they learned more about what became
1: of the soldiers after the war. John and Daryl, we don't know what became of their relationship. What we do know is that before uh, John returned home, he was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. He'd started to fall down. You know, two years after World War II in 1947 or 48, he was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And we got, uh, he he tells us that his uncle... In his early 70s asked him at some point handed him a shoebox didn't even say what was in it said and a ring and said please keep these safe for me and we would paraphrase that to please keep these safe after me because two years later john passed away from his muscular dystrophy he lived a lot longer than anyone expected him to the nephew went off to college met his wife married they raised three sons and at some point within the last 10 years he went I wonder what's in that shoebox, and opened it up, and there were all these pictures of his uncle and his uncle's boyfriend, uh, his rainbow scarf for his dress uniform, and um, some documentation, I don't recall what they were, but we now have about 150 photos of John and Daryl and their intersection with Dachau concentration camp. There are photos of them there, and uh, the liberation of Dachau, five days too late for the prince and the baron.
0: As for Daryl, Hugh says he got married and had five children. Then he became a court stenographer, and he did that for many years until he passed away in the early 2000s.
1: We don't know what became of their relationship though.
0: I realize there's a lot of sadness in this story. So if you're looking for a light at the end of the tunnel,
1: here it is. Alan Berube wrote a wonderful book called uh, Coming Out Under Fire. Alan Barubi describes, um, this, is, this is how world, the, the military dealt with gay soldiers during World War II and afterwards. The book describes the two battles
0: many LGBTQ plus soldiers were facing at the time of World War II. The first one being for their country, and the second being for their own survival as homosexuals
1: against the military. And one of the gay soldiers that they talk about in the book was sent to Dachau a concentration camp after, after he was shot down over Italy. And he was liberated by John and Daryl's unit at the Rainbow Division.
0: In the mid-1800s, there were a few ways a couple could take a picture of themselves. Luckily, none of the methods were very expensive. The first method was to hire someone to take a tintype, which is...
2: Kind of like the Polaroid of the mid-1800s. And so this would gave anyone the opportunity at a fair or church. at a circus, at church, the, you know, the guy would come in and actually the photographers were used in the civil war. So that's where this happened because, uh, you didn't have any film that could be destroyed. It was a piece of tin that had been coated with a substance. Uh, and then when it was opened up, you know, the, the, neg- the uh, the camera shutter was opened up. The image was transported onto that image, onto the plate, and then they would go to the dark room and it would be um, processed there. So within 15 minutes, someone would walk away with a tin-type photograph and you know, one of a kind, no trace of any, anything that someone could find out if there was uh, a romantic glance or something in it, but it was very inexpensive. Um, and then there was the photo booth that was very inexpensive as well. And so you would step into a photo booth and not only read the subject, but you, uh, were also the, um, the photographer and the processor and you would walk away with your images there. So that was very, um, inexpensive for Liberating. someone, uh, and then starting around the 1920s photography got, well, became inexpensive, the paper type photography.
0: Because photos were inexpensive to take and usually came with a degree of secrecy, Hugh and Neil were able to include a wide range of social classes in their collection. But the same could not be said about race.
1: Uh, In the very, very beginning when the book first launched, we had a lot of, not a lot. The only bad reviews we got were mainly pertaining to the lack of diversity and people of color in the book. And while we certainly appreciate and, um, and understand the sentiment, uh, we didn't do this on purpose, but our collection landed in the century between the 1850s and 1950s. So start there. You know, it's in the U.S. and the U.S. Is, has had, has, still has a terrible problem with racism. It you know, started out with slavery, which is an abomination. And um, so the, you know, people of color didn't have a lot of access to anything in the United States during that century. They didn't have access to education. They didn't have access to, you know, good stores or the the vote. And now we're seeing that all again. So unfortunately, the period that our collection covers, it's very discriminatory and excluded um, people of color broadly. We've collected every single photo of an African-American couple or an interracial couple that we've come across for 21 years now. And out of 3,300 photographs, that number's about 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that. It's very few. The photos just aren't out there. We'd have them if they were. And we, you know, Like I said, we've collected all, all that we've come across.
0: It was around the 1900s when photography studios began to pop up around the US. Young men would shave, comb their hair, and put on the nicest suit they owned in order to come in and have their photos taken.
1: And then at the end, there would be this prop that says, not married, but willing to be, which means, hey, ladies, I'm not married, but I'm willing to be married to you ladies.
0: It was kind of like their way of creating a profile on a dating app. They were saying, hey, I'm looking for a wife. Here's what I got to offer.
1: So this young couple, they look like they're in their teens, late teens probably, had the self-awareness to be photographed together as a couple and then to go a step so much further than anybody was thinking during that time and hold up that prop that was for a single man, hold it together, and say, we're not married to each other, but we're willing to be.
0: The photo was taken a hundred years before the first same-sex wedding ceremony would take place, and decades before conversations even started around the topic. Talk about woke.
1: And they had the prescience and the self-awareness to think of themselves in terms of being a married couple, which I think is absolutely astonishing, and it's sort of, this photograph is sort of becoming the iconic image of the book and, and possibly of the entire collection.
0: The last photo that made it into Hugh and Neil's favorites from the collection uncovered a relationship between two famous artists.
2: Um, it's a beautiful photograph. It actually looks like Bruce Weber could have taken it. And I mean, it's just gorgeous. And this one, what makes it special? I mean, it's the the artistic uh, layout of it and everything. And to think that you know, some, this was um, a novice taking this photograph. It was, you know, a friend of theirs. But it's just the way it's cropped and everything going on in the photograph makes it a piece of art.
0: The Guardian in the UK published a feature on Hugh and Neil's book. Just like the photo of the two soldiers, someone recognized the faces in the portrait after reading the article from The Guardian. So they reached out.
2: So, you know, they reached out to us we were like, absolutely, <laughs> give him our information, we'll talk to him. And he identified the two guys, the one uh, handsome guy on top with all the hair, as Rupert Brooke, who is a famous poet, and the one below him is Duncan Grant, who is a famous artist, both from uh, the UK. Um, and it's if it's not them, it's their twin. We've you know you can see the ones that you can see Rupert Brooke's ear, and it matches perfectly, and it's spot on. We've had two people since then email us and say the same thing.
1: What's interesting about it is, number one, the the beautiful romanticism between the two of them is just really out there. And the second thing is, this is before either of them was famous. They're very young in this photograph. They're not the famous poet or the famous artist. They're just two guys. And they belong to the Bloomsbury Group, which was an artist colony uh, during that time and up through uh, fairly recently, I think, um, it existed. And so… Which
2: means there could be a very famous photographer who actually did take the photo that was in the group.
1: When Hugh and Neil decided to
0: transform their side project into a book, they had no idea the impact it would have.
1: We hoped 5,000 people would would like the book and and, um, what's happened since the launch of the book was just so much greater, so much bigger than anything the two of us could have possibly imagined. We've come to understand our collection and its message better from publishing it than we did before we published it. Although I think we had a pretty pretty good grasp that it needed to be out there somehow. But um, yeah, the response has been I mean, just off the charts, off the charts.
2: Whether it's uh, through someone reaching out to us on Instagram or Facebook or sending us an email, um, talking about what the book means to them and and who they've given it to. And we, we did uh, a limited edition where people could dedicate uh, the book to someone uh, of the top, uh, first 1000, and we found that there were uh, mothers and fathers buying it for their kids, kids buying it for their parents, grandparents buying it for their uh, grandson and for his uh, engagement, and, and we would write little notes for them. We had a few of people in their 70s that reached out to us and said, if only I had this book when I was growing up to show that i could have had that love and i hope it's not too late for me you know <laughs> sorry um it, it just it's still the the emails and everything we get they're very personal and uh, extremely uh, intimate intimate and, and just pull at your heartstrings wow. and um yeah. so we've we've kept them all because that's a story within itself on what this book has meant to so many people because when when and you know, the We've had as many straight people purchase it as gay people. In fact, in the beginning, there were more straight people that purchased it because um, that it's two men, it's secondary. The message is about love. And when they see it and they go through it, they just they're as I showed it to my little brother who's married, has two kids. And the minute he saw it, he's like, oh, my God, that's love. I mean, he just kind of screamed it out. and, And people just share that message.
0: Throughout all of this, finding that photo, finding out, finding all of the other photos tucked in nooks and crannies and, you know, secondhand stores and online and auctions. What did you learn about love and the meaning of love throughout this process?
2: That it's universal. Uh, You know, the love between two men is the same between two women, a man and a woman. Um, It's, we all feel it the same way.
1: Yeah, it's uh, men, male couples feel the same love that male and female couples uh, feel, and female couples feel the same love that everybody else feels. It's it's the same love, and then we go one step further to say this: love doesn't have a sexual orientation; it isn't experienced differently by people of different sexual orientations. It's experienced the same way by all. It confirmed our understanding of our collection that this is universal, and everybody that sees it understands it for what it is, and our really moved by it because we've never been depicted this way before And by we, I say, you know, male couples who are in love with each other. We go out of our way not to describe the subjects as gay or, or homosexual. We don't have those pictures. We have pictures of two people who are in love with each other.
0: After seeing the effect of their collection with their first book, Hugh and Neil are already planning on releasing another book. I mean, they have the photos at home to make it. So why not?
2: We're planning on doing one. It's going to be loving the military edition or loving uh, men in uniform because of around 20, 25% of our collection is, uh, men in uniform from around the world, um, wars that the U S fought in, uh, didn't b- fight in from the civil war up through the American uh, civil war, Yeah, American yeah. civil war up through, you know, 1950, that's our cutoff and, um, and then we'll go from there. I mean, there's opportunities for other books if there's still interest after that. Um, but we're we're hoping that this book will launch in 2022, in October, which would be two years from the launch of this one. Because we're right now, we're, we just hit our, uh, going into our fifth printing on this, and it's in five languages.
0: If you're looking to pick up a copy of Hugh and Neil's book, which you definitely
1: should, Here's where to go. Well, there's two kinds of of copies and uh, the limited, signed, numbered, uh, dedicated, limited edition, one through a 1,000. There are only 12 of those left, and that's at uh, loving1000.org. There's only 12 out of the 1,000 then
2: I want you to start sure it. you can also get a sign retail edition at the same email oh, yeah. address uh we've started selling on, on the website at loving1000.org uh, and then you know we always like to say buy local when you can uh, our book is in many uh, independent bookstores around the world Um, And then we're in some of the larger chains as well. And then um, the big boy, Amazon.
1: If all else fails, go to Amazon. But we do try to encourage people to support their local bookstores. Although Barnes and Noble is always out of stock.
0: It's just probably a good
1: sign. Yes. Yes. (laughs) They're definitely not, not sitting on inventory.
0: Pride is a production of Straw Hut Media. If you like the show, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Then follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Pride. And tune in weekly for new episodes. Be sure to share this episode with your friends and subscribe for more stories from amazing queer people. If you'd like to connect with me, you can follow me everywhere at Levi Chambers. Pride is produced by me, Levi Chambers, Maggie Bowles, Ryan Tillotson, Caitlin McDaniel, And Brandon Marlowe. Edited by Silvana Alcala and Daniel Ferreira. Sound mixing by Silvana Alcala.
2: When we made this book, we probably had around 2,700 photographs. Now we have over 3,300. There is a second book uh, that is possibly in the making. Uh, It
1: It sounds like you're about 1,000 photos in.